doing that gathering and all of this stuff and and all all these things that take place. But to me, there is nothing that says Christmas like the nativity scene. There's just something about that scene. And my my, my favorite, favorite, favorite part of Christmas is songs that really talk about that birth and talk about what was done and how that he came and became one of us and was born in this world in humble means and all that goes with that story. And the songs, like the one that we just sang, the way when it's done and it's in that, in that worshipful atmosphere, there's just something that touches my heart. But isn't it a shame that today that the tradition of the manger scene is for some considered offensive? So I was thinking about that. I ran across a story a few years back in Wilmington, Florida. There was an affluent community, kind of when... This is probably right about the time that things begin to shift a little bit. And, and this, this community, they decided they were going to do a community <clears throat> manger scene. And so they collected the money to do it. They even went all out and they spent $1,800 on the baby Jesus. I mean, they wanted as realistic of a, of a baby there in the manger as they could come up with, and they put it all in place and got it set up, and it was absolutely beautiful. And then after one night, the next day, they come back, and somebody had stolen baby Jesus. So they replaced him. Then the next year, they thought, surely that was a one-time thing. And so the next year, they set it all up again and, and went to, to go about it. And the very next year, after the first night, Baby Jesus is stolen. Third year, they got smart. They put a GPS tracker in baby Jesus and tracked it down to a home where a lady had taken the baby Jesus. But apparently, this kind of thing is becoming more and more common. And, and, and you know, for some people, I'm sure it's some kind of a weird little joke. And for others, it's, it's some way to kind of, I guess, take their shot at Christmas. But the great news is taking a doll out of the picture doesn't change what the meaning of Christmas is all about. I mean, it's the whole idea of the day is that God became present with man. I mean, that's an exciting thing. God became present with man. Isaiah, we're going to be looking at the book of Isaiah today a lot. And Isaiah the prophet literally 700 years, a little more than 700 years before what took place on Christmas, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7 verse 14 said this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And we know later on that means God with us. The reality is that God did send his most precious gift that he could possibly send. And as you go on in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah foretold exactly where Jesus would minister and how he would minister and that, that he would be the one that would be walking into this dark world and bringing light into the world. In Isaiah chapter 11, it was declared that he would come from the line of David when he literally said, a shoot would rise from the stump of Jesse, which was David, King David's father. So when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary 
and begin telling her exactly what was going to happen and begin speaking, saying, you shall be with child. That was fulfillment of what we read in Isaiah chapter 7, 700 years later. And at that time, get this, no king from David's line had sat on the throne for literally 500 years. And then Jesus was born from the line of David. Matthew one twenty three describes it this way, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. In other words, God's presence being with us. And the truth is, this is what God desired before all of creation. The whole time, this has been what God has desired and what God has wanted. He's wanted his presence to be with man and for man to, to consider him our God and to follow him and to serve him. And he's wanted, he wanted that all along. I mean, from the very beginning of creation, that was the whole purpose, that, we, that he would have man to worship him and to honor him, that he could have that relationship and that closeness, literally God with us. And we know that Adam and Eve, that they had that time that for a while that God walked with them in the garden in the cool of the day. That relationship was there. It was good. His presence was there with them and they enjoyed it. And, but then guess what? They blew it. When sin in the world. Later on, God would pull Abraham aside and say, you know what? I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you. So much so that the stars of the sky can't be counted. That so will be your descendants. And he makes this promise. And he says, I'm going to make you guys. I'm going to make you a great nation. You will walk with me and I will walk with you. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And that worked for a while. And then they didn't do so well. And then later on, as they ended up back in slavery in the land, they ended up in slavery in Egypt, God once again delivered them and led them out and, and, be, and said, you know, I'm going to perform all these miracles, these miraculous signs and the plagues and all the stuff that took place so that he could be their God and they could be his people. And he said, I'm going to take you to a land that is filled with this flowing with milk and honey and I'm going to put you in this land. And well, they kind of had a little bit of a problem with complaining. And then they, then they didn't even go in when they had the opportunity. And so it caused 40 years of wondering. Even the land flowing with milk and honey wasn't, well, it wasn't once they entered into the land, it wasn't long until they began to imitate the other nations around them. And the point I'm making here is finally, as Israel was a nation, it even reached the point that it says that God's glory left the temple. You see the pattern here? God goes to extreme measures to say, I want you to be my people. I want my presence to be with you. I want to be your God and you to be my people. And he wants that relationship and that closeness. And in all honesty, we're not the best at that. So yeah, all the time, all the time, all that stuff was happening. There was this prophecy from Isaiah that was waiting to be fulfilled. There was a period of time prior to the birth of Jesus that many people refer to as that wait was taking place as the years of silence. Literally from Malachi, the prophet Malachi, until that until that, that 
John the Baptist was introduced, we see that time that was called to his year of silence. There was virtually no voice. There was no revelation. There was no speaking. God wasn't moving. It was almost like this time of silence. See, after that, so many things happened. During that 400-year period, I'm going to give you a little bit of a short history lesson here of what took happened, happened during that 400 years. During that time, the Assyrians and the Babylonians emptied the land and carried many of the Israelites into exile. Then the Persians allowed many of them to return and begin to rebuild part of it. And after the Persians were done, Alexander came along and the Greeks took over. And Alexander the Great conquered the land, and there was so much influence during that time that, the, that the, the Greeks began to influence their time and their culture to where many of them began to speak Greek, which is, part, which is the reason that the whole New Testament was actually written in Greek. Then when, when the time came that, the, that his time ended, the Egyptians came in, and then the Syrians came in, and when the Syrians came in, they forced the Jews no longer to worship God, but they, they sit, literally set up worship for Zeus in the temple courts. Then finally the time came that the Jewish people rose up, and they cast off that, and for a period of time, they rule, kind of did rule themselves again during that 400 years. But then a war broke out. And it was a war between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, if you're not familiar with that, the, the Pharisees believed that there was a resurrection of dead, and the Sadducees didn't believe that there was. And the way you can keep that straight is that the Sadducees were Sadducee because there was nothing after this life in their book. It took, that was kind of a slow catch right yeah but on the heels of that in the middle of that that civil war so to speak between the two a roman general by the name of pompey arrived and helped the pharisees defeat the sadducees in jerusalem and then rome just said well while we're here we're just going to help ourselves to this nation and set up rule and so as we know jesus was born at the time when Caesar Augustus was ruling, and he said, I'm going to decree a census be taked, taken. And Mary and Joseph left Nazareth to head for Bethlehem. So now we come to Isaiah chapter 12, where it says, Rejoice! Let's read it, verse 1 through 3. In that day you will, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you are angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have come Confronted me, comforted me. Surely God is my salvation, and I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Here the prophet says, this very prophet that said the virgin will conceive. He talks about finally that day coming. He talks about the Son of God being born. And so many powerful things happen that we will be brought to place that we would just break out into joy. Now, I know New Year's Eve is kind of considered the party Eve, right? But really, shouldn't Christmas be? Now, I realize this year, 
There's probably all of us are counting the days until 2020 is over and we can say, hey, it's 2021 and I know that that is worth celebrating. But in reality, what are we doing? We're just literally turning the page of the calendar from one to the other. But yet when we talk about Christmas, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the very thing that divides our measurement of time. We're celebrating the very thing that God himself would come and be born in humble fashion and laid in a manger and would be our Lord and our Savior and that he would grow up and he would confound the wise men and he would do all these things and he he would spread the truth and he would heal As we talked about, the lame would walk, the blind would see, and all that he did, then he would give his life on the cross and be laid in the tomb and raised again on the third day. Boy, to me, if we're going to throw a party, shouldn't it be Christmas? Because of Christmas, we have a joyful presence of the Lord. Our wrath, God's wrath is turned to joy for us. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful, praise God, that his, that I don't have to worry about his wrath in my life. He's not standing there looking down at me, waiting for me to mess up so he can hit me with a lightning bolt. Because of what Jesus did, his presence is with me. I love Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14, and we read this part every year, the Christmas story. But it says this, Now there were in that same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people for their is born to you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. What a moment. Can you think about that? Think about the angels got the thrill of announcing this birth. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, that's something that I believe the angels were waiting for for a long, long time. Think about this. They had seen a third of their number fall in a rebellion. They had, they had seen that God had created man and, and his image, and he had given them a free will, and then they fell. They had seen the idea that, that, that finally the plan was that God in, would come in the flesh and clothe himself with human flesh and be born among men in a humble fashion. And they knew that was a plan. And don't you know that they were counting the days for that announcement? That they were waiting for the opportunity to share that. And I bet they couldn't wait to make that announcement. I bet when it was said, okay, go, it's time. There was just this flood of angels streaming down to the earth saying, let's do this. Let's make this proclamation. So what does it mean for us? It means that because because of all this, that God was angry because of our sin, but that you and I don't have to pay the consequences of those sin because justice, how many know that God demands justice? But that God would come in the flesh and be that sacrifice so that justice demand would be met because of what Christ did. 
Thank God for that. Because of that birth, you and I don't have to fear today. Romans 3, 23 through 24, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You know, how many know we all fall short? Not just people that steal plastic baby Jesuses. Right? You know, this may sound depressing on a human level, but guess what? Righteousness is a test that I can't pass. Righteousness is a test that you can't pass. But thank God it's not based on my righteousness. It's not based on your righteousness. It's based on the righteousness of Christ that was sacrificed on our behalf. So we don't have to stand there in our righteousness. We can stand there clothed in his righteousness. You know, in this case, it's almost like, remember when you were in school and everybody would bomb on a test and the teacher would stand up and say, you know what, we're going to curdle... We're going to grade on a curve. We're going to take the, the lowest, or I mean the highest scoring person. We're going to bump them up to, to an A and we'll raise everybody else's grade accordingly. Isn't that kind of what Jesus did for us? Out of his perfection, our, our, our righteousness grade was, ra- was raised on a curve. And we get to enjoy that goodness. Now for some of us though, this doesn't sit well. This whole idea of the manger, this whole idea of Jesus Christ, that, 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 that somehow they can't see beyond Mary and Joseph and the little baby, and somehow they, they, they'd rather sing about Santa Claus or, or something else, and, 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 and they just have trouble with this. But, or maybe it's not that they just can't see past it. Maybe they realize... That if they acknowledge that that might be true, that that means that there is a God. And if Jesus really did come to pay the price for our sins, that means that we are held accountable for our sins. And if we are held accountable for our sins, that one day there will be a judgment. And so it's easier in that case to sing, you better watch out, you better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. The thing to me that's scary about that song is he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Sounds more like a stalker to me. I'm just, I'm just saying. But here's the problem. We can't be good for goodness sake. Let that sink in for a moment. We are not capable of being good for goodness sake. Only the presence of the holy birth can make us right with God. That presence in our life. Well, that doesn't mean we can't do good. Yes, evil people can do some good deeds. But what it does mean is that we're not capable of being good for goodness sake. How many know that we don't do very well? I mean, you remove somebody looking over your shoulder saying there's a standard and every one of us are capable of making compromises. 
But because of that birth, we can know that no matter how many good things do, the Bible teaches that we really can't be good without God and his Christmas presence. See, we're not now and never will we ever be able to be self-righteous. I know there are some people that like to act like they are, but we can never actually be self-righteous. There is no righteousness in myself. Kind of what Jesus did. On Judgment Day, God's going to open books and he's going to tell us, believe it or not, everything we did. Let that sink in for a moment. Revelation 20, verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, and the things which were written in the books. Rut row, right? But I love this part. Verse 15, skipping down yet. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Think about that. That's scary. But you know what I love? That because of the life, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, guess what? Think about this. All the pages that had all the junk that you and I have ever done wrong. When the time comes, that book is open. If we truly surrender to Christ, guess what? We're going to find that every one of those pages of all that junk has been covered up with what I'm calling holy whiteout. I mean, come on. We all know the junk we've done, right? How cool is that going to be when... When that book is open and it gets to that part, all of a sudden it's page after page of white because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when they sit that book down and they pick up the book of life and they open it up and they find your name, how cool is it going to be to see that your name is written in that book and it's written in his handwriting? What a great gift! What a presence. Romans 4, 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Psalms 103, 12 tells us God has removed them as far as the east is from the west. Micah said that he has taken them and he's buried them into the very depths of the sea. In other words, he's given us multiple examples. They're saying that when it's whited out, when it's forgiven, it's done, it's gone. Isaiah tells us that is why Jesus came to free us from our past, to turn God's anger away from us and to comfort. And that's what happens. And when that happens, Isaiah says that, it will, that we will make it and we will want to shout and sing. So let's talk about that. Sing and shout. Message within the songs of Christmas should be in our spirit all year long verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 12 sing to the Lord for he has done excellent things this is known in all the earth it's one of the greatest gifts of Christmas 
He said, this is the season that we set aside and we play these songs about Jesus. And even many people that at most other times of the year don't even acknowledge him at all, at least as a society for the most part, our heads are all turned that way at least a little bit. And there's a little bit of acknowledgement and what a great time to proclaim his name. One that's one of the greatest gifts, almost every believer and even unbelievers at some point, they sing some song concerning Jesus. What child is this that laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? This is Christ, our King. He's earned the right to be our Lord. He has the authority to tell us what is right and wrong and for us to follow that. Then it says, we always sing, God bless you, God rest you, Mary, bless you, Ah, try again. God bless you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay, for Jesus Christ, our Savior, is born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when he has gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Tidings of comfort and joy. See, Jesus came to save us from Satan's power when we had gone astray, when we had sinned. We sang, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth. God and sinners reconciled. When Jesus came, he reconciled us to God. We were not good, but he made us right with God. Isn't it interesting how completely Christmas fulfills the prophecy that Isaiah laid out just step by step, every single bit of it. There are times that something happens in your life. You ever had that something happen in your life that even without thinking about it, it's just so wonderful that you just kind of spontaneously shout out? It hasn't happened much this year, but occasionally I may be watching a cowboy game by myself and something can happen and there's just kind of a little shout that that comes out even without thinking about it, right? I grew up hearing Pentecostal preachers sometimes saying, somebody ought to shout. (laughs) Isaiah ends the line of the prophecy with these words in verse 6, cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. You know, how about you? I hate overtime. Except for that moment, if your team hits that big play, that all of a sudden, what, what was go headed into overtime, and the, and the results were, were in doubt, that all of a sudden that big play hits, and, and you know that it's done, you know that it's over, because the other team doesn't get a chance to respond or to answer. And I really got to think about it. Guess what? When Jesus was laid in the tomb, Satan thought that he had it done, but he didn't realize there was three days of overtime. Guess it gives new meaning to Hail Mary, huh? <laughs> and all of a sudden, the ground began to shake, and the stone was rolled away, and he rose victorious. But still, there are people that want to remove this baby from the picture. They want to shout out the Christmas carols. They'd rather sing, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. And sometimes they'll even take people to court to try to stop it. 
A lot of that started, I ran across this story. I don't know about you, but I plan on being defiant to the end. In Wakanda, Illinois, this community had this long-standing tradition for 40 years that during Christmas time, they put two giant lit-up crosses on the water towers. Now, mind you, nobody in the community complained. But somebody else from an organization brought together a lawsuit to have the crosses pulled down. This took place in 1989. And everybody in the community wanted to fight it. So they had this meeting. And at the meeting, they talked about how how that a, another community had a similar thing and how that they lost the court battle and all the money that, was, that it cost. And they looked at this little town's budget and they didn't have the money to put up really any kind of a fight to hire the lawyers to, to fight this. And of course, you got to realize this is back in 1989. There's, there's law groups now that love to take those kind of things on on our behalf. But this happened. So they left this meeting realizing they didn't have much choice and the crosses had to come down. So this community, one of the ladies that was at that meeting, her husband owned a kind of a hardware store type thing in the town and so he went home and he took it upon himself to build his own that cross and put it up in his store. One other person did the same thing. Pretty soon, all over the community, cross after cross after cross went up in the houses, in the yards, everywhere else. And this statement was made. I mean, the media, I love this. This lady by the name of Joyce Mitchell drove around the the community with her daughters. They were six and nine at the time. She said she began to cry. He said, the media had portrayed us as losing the fight, but we didn't lose. Two crosses had been replaced by hundreds all over the community, and God was glorified in the end. You know, we can't control everything that's going on out there. We can control what's going on with us. And we can stand up And we can hold our ground. And we can continue to serve God. You know what? Even if it does get tough, we see through Scripture, all through the history of the church, that there are times that people had to be brought to that place that they stood up and stood their ground in spite of opposition. And God showed up and God backed them up again and again. And we may reach that point that we have to stand up and make a stand in some fashion. We of all people have a reason to celebrate and to sing and to shout and declare his praises. And I don't know about you, but I for one will not stop. I'm going to conclude as we get ready here with Revelation 21.3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, 
and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You know what that spoke to me? Talking about Christmas present. I, I started out talking about how it's been God's desire all along to be our God and us to be his people and to have that relationship. And he's gone to great extremes again and again and again, all the way down to the point, like Jesus said when he told one of the parables about the person that the master had gone away and he'd sent different people to be messengers to try to, to talk to the tenants about them serving properly. And it said, finally, he sent his own son and they killed him. This has been God's purpose all along. And for some of us, for, for many of us, we've actually, we've given our lives to Christ. We've surrendered. We're walking with him. And we are his children. And he is our God. And we follow him. And I thank God for that because of what Jesus Christ did. But there are so many people that have not. And they need this message. They need to understand what was done. And when I read this, I want to read Revelation 21.3 again. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You know how I interpret that? Here we are in Revelation. It's almost like God said, I did this, and they backed away. I did this, and they backed away. I did this and again and again and again. It's almost like here in Revelation, he's saying, finally, finally, they're with me, they're in heaven, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. It's time we as believers resolve that no matter what, he will be my God and I will be one of his people. Because his whole desire all along is for us to be in his presence and him to dwell with us. It started in the garden. He came and walked among us. And the day is going to come what did he say? It is good for you that I go away. And he said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place. He's been working on it for quite a while, so I have a feeling it's going to be pretty glorious. And one of these days, he is going to bring us to be with him. And now, I will be their God and they will be my people. I don't know about you, but it makes me look at what Jesus did just a little differently. The purpose was relationship. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful that he's not a vengeful God. I'm thankful that, that, that he desires a relationship with me and I can really know him. Yes, when you have that relationship, he does communicate with you. 
how do we not how could we not want that? I challenge you this morning. Somehow, maybe you're walking along, you're like, oh, I, be- I believe in all this. I believe that Jesus is, was born. I believe he was laid in a manger. I believe it all. But somehow you're just, you're just going through life and you're not truly understanding the depths of what was done for you. And you haven't truly surrendered. I implore you, there is nothing in this world you can chase after that's greater than what he has for you. They will all leave you short. And everyone that chases after other stuff, at some point you'll be brought to that place that you'll realize how foolish I was that I didn't surrender. It's my desire that you would surrender. what Jesus did say Lord I want your presence in my life this morning I'm going to have Steve-O kind of sing us out the perfect song what we're talking about but I want to know as he begins to do that is there anybody here that you say you know what I know I acknowledge I could be more sold out to him. Raise your hand. I could be. Let's get there. Let's do it. He sold everything out for us. Let's surrender to him. Amen. So he sings this song. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, I'll be standing down front here. But if you haven't surrendered, let today be the day.
shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. far and nigh to us the path of knowledge show and cause a sinner ways to go rejoice rejoice amen Shall come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. Shall come to thee, O Israel. God for what he did. You think about it, continue to lift Gary up in prayer. He's, he needs God to really do a work in his body. And we're praying for it and believing about it. But how many know there's power and more people praying? So continue to lift him up. I pray that every one of you have an incredible Christmas. But let's remember what it's about and keep him first. Amen. Father, Lord, we thank you that we could gather in your name. Lord, I thank you for all those that are here. I, I know this has been a different Christmas season than any in my life. But Lord, that doesn't change. Lord, that you came fully God, yet fully man, and walked this earth and paid the ultimate price so that your presence could be active in our lives and we could be in right relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for those that have rededicated, recommitted, those that have surrendered to you. Lord, let us walk knowing, Lord, that your presence is with us and that we can be clothed in your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, great Christmas.